I do my show on the Heritage Radio Network because I think it's important to talk about the impact of technology on our lives. I do my show to reach home cooks and help them do better. I love getting together with people in the industry. I like hosting my show because to me, it's the stories about people and their relationship to food that help make the food more interesting and more delicious. Our hosts do their shows as a labor of love, but we still need your financial support in order to keep the lights on and keep the tape rolling. Please become a member today at heritageradionetwork.org. Today's program is brought to you by the Academy Opus Cassius, the cheese industry's unique center for professional development. For more information and to apply for courses, visit our website at www.academymons.com. That's A-C-A-D-E-M-I-E hyphen M-O-N-S dot com. I'm Damon Bolte, host of The Speakeasy. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit heritageradionetwork.org for thousands more. Hello and welcome to Cutting the Curd in the Heritage Radio Network. This is Greg Blaze and today we're recording a very special episode on location from Italy, New York with Joe Bastianich. Thanks so much for taking the time out to talk with me today, Joe. Happy to talk about cheese with you, my friend. (laughs) I guess that's what we're here to talk about, right? Yeah, absolutely. Cutting the Curd is a show all about cheese, the curds... The, the make the cheese makers we get we get anybody that likes to talk cheese up cheese on here especially you um, Joe Bastianich restaurateur is most probably widely known for his stint as a judge in the television competition shows Master Chef and Master Chef Junior and Master Chef Italia but his plate is definitely much fuller than that he's a part owner of Italy he's a vendor and an author and he's a musician with my friends Dan Amatuzzi and Nick Coleman in a band called The Ramps and his mother is Lydia Bastianich known for her fantastic cookbooks and television show of PBS and her wonderful restaurants, Philadelphia. Basically, you're a very busy guy, and uh, so I'm happy to have a little time to talk to you. Great, yeah, let's. Let's. Uh, I'm happy to be here. Cool. So let's start by asking an easy question. Uh, mm-hmm. What's your favorite cheese these days, and why? My favorite cheese these days. Well, I'm living in Italy these days, uh, in Milan, and um, I have to say that, man, I'll give you two. Sure. A hard cheese and a soft cheese. Okay. So lately, I've been eating a lot of gorgonzola dolce. Uh-huh. Um, with some really good uh, mostarda that I happen to find on the set where I am. Yeah. Which is more of kind of like a gluttonous cheese to me. It's super creamy, super rich, very strong, and it really begs for a glass of red wine. The other cheese that I go to like more for sustenance and eat every day is, is, is Grano Padano because it's just, sure. uh, we have it, we use it, and it's just like the perfect uh, lunch protein with a little bit of bread and if you're not gonna if you're not gonna have a meal it's one of the great meal substitutes absolutely I visited uh, some grana production in uh, in Lombardia about a year or so ago it's a great cheese and it broke a lot of like preconceived notions I had about industrial cheese mm-hmm. uh, because it's all factory made but it supports this massive uh, cooperative of dairies and uh, and of lifestyle of the people of the Po River Valley which right. I thought was super cool um, I wanted to talk about the cheese also where your family's from and uh, growing up with a mom who's a chef. Um, your family's from Pola, right? Or from the region e- of Pola? Austria, yeah. Yeah. What's the cheese that's typical or what cheeses are typical to that area? I think they make a lot. Of, I, I mean, it's no longer Italy, so it's not really classified in the Italian system. But um, it, they make a lot of uh, 
sheep cheese, pecorino. Yeah, like the poxy sear and things. Yeah, like I don't stuff. really know them that well. It's not yet, but the poxy sear is one of the cheeses. And it's probably not so different than like a, a pecoro sardo. Yeah, yeah. Super gamey. Yeah. Very salty at times. Flinty texture. Flinty, hard cheese, good for grating, good for eating. But de definitely a full-flavored goat cheese. Yeah, cool. Was was cheese like an important part of uh, growing up in New York? Or was it a part of your life in New York? I have to I have to say that growing up, like really appreciating cheeses as an agricultural product, came later in life and kind of kind of had a symbiotic development with with wine for me. Uh, I think cheese growing up was part of food, you yeah. know. So it was either like grated on pasta, baked on, or in a risotto. And there's probably a lot of you know grating cheeses like grana. Not a lot of ricotta, mozzarella, those kind of cheeses. Yeah, well, it's, it's different now. It's it's sort of like lionized. A lot of people they have like cheese boards, or they it's a it's a real scaled down version. There was no cheese boards in Queens <laughs> in the seventies. I can tell you that for sure. <laughs> cheese was craft uh, individually sliced singles. You know? Nice. And if that's if you were lucky, you know, yeah. we were lucky because we were in the food business, so we got to eat some you know different cheeses. But yeah, so cheese kind of like. In the way that wine changed my life, cheese I experienced in a similar way when I was traveling around Italy as a kid and getting to experience those cheeses in the places where they're made with the food and wine is, is kind of spectacular, really what's so spectacular about Italy. Yeah, I mean, I, I dedicated, I mean, I dedicated the last 20 plus years of my life just to buying and selling cheese. When I came to, to Italy, um, I learned so much about cheese as like a, what for me, it's like a window into to memory. And, and as most foods are, but because of the way that it's made, it captures like a particular day and a time. It's a time capsule for me, and it's really transportative to when I was a kid, maybe when I visited farms or when I was outdoors and things like that. Does it? Does it? So it obviously, food transports. Yeah, you that I way. think I think that I, you know, cheese for me is more uh, associated with geography and places, and it's you know, similar to wine, it's a very very um, direct. A representation of, uh, of agriculture and uh, of local, you know, what the grass is like and what the cows eat and what the milk tastes like becomes what the cheese tastes like. Combine that with the tradition of how to how to turn it into, you know, how the curd becomes cheese, and uh, then you have as localized a, a agricultural product as you can possibly be, you know, so tied into the earth uh, in such a direct way, you know. And I think that it's similar to wine in a lot of ways. Cool. Um, so listeners in the Heritage Radio Network are folks, like whether they're in the food business or not, who see like a broken food system and they want to fix it. Um, our goal is to change the way people think about food and maybe even how and what they eat. So what are your thoughts on that? Do you see like the success of shows like MasterChef and uh, MasterChef Junior Restaurant Startup like linked to that idea? I think that, you know, nothing, nothing is a silver bullet that's going to solve that problem that you mentioned, but I think that... In its own way, the more the media, through media, the more we talk about food and create consciousness about what we eat, it's all a very, very positive thing. It's the beginning of the solution. I think the solution is a very, very complex one and probably won't be answered in my lifetime. But certainly finding a sustainable way to feed 9 billion people on this planet has to be a goal of all humanity and, you know, will be resolved in the next years. I'm not saying 50 or 100. I don't know how long it's going to take. But if you ask me, does media is, is media uh, solving the problem? No. Is it is it creating awareness? Yes. Is it making people aware of, of these products? Yes. Is it um, 
especially with the kids, is it turning kids on to uh, a new way of thinking about food and integrating it into their lives and the importance of sustenance and what they eat? Yes. So it's doing a lot of important things um, that are part of the solution. Do the kids that you see, are, do they know cheese a little bit better than the craft yeah, singles I mean, from the absolutely, 70s? Absolutely. You know, yeah. These kids come in and they know the difference. You know, they know they know Grana Padano, they know Gorgonzola, they know Taleggio. And, yeah. You know, th that's really good. That's positive because they have an education. They probably come from a fortunate situation where their parents right. can travel or eat out in restaurants or buy quality food at home. But it's all part of an evolution, you know, and it takes time. And um, the fact that the, the younger generation now of children are more aware about what they eat, where it comes from, and the importance of sourcing quality ingredients is already a really big step. Yeah, when I when I was a kid, I was also a child of the 70s, um, but I was lucky because I'm, I'm a hick, I'm from the country, so there was actual cheese around me, um, or there was actual cheese products around me. I mean, you grew up in the city, uh, mostly. Um, I think, I mean, it's just, it's different now, but yeah, you, you know, I wonder if, I wonder if, um, if there's a quicker way for to learn to, to get kids to learn like in, in about cheeses in schools or or in there, right? You know, growing up as a city kid in New York City in the seventies, um, and you know, with limited means, it was really more about just about eating and sustenance. And I think that you know the baseline problem today is even that. I mean, it's, you know, knowing where your cheese comes from or what cow or what what grass the cow is is a pretty high class problem. Yeah. You know what I mean? I think that sure. just, just getting people to eat non-processed food, getting right. people, you know, if you could get someone away from uh, industrially produced processed cheese to their first bite of something that is handcrafted, that's already a major step. And I think things like you know, mozzarella, ricotta, and grana, those kind of entry-level cheeses, yeah. I like to call them, really do um, uh, create a path for that. Yeah. So depends on what what end of the spectrum you want to tackle the problem, you know, because all these kind of rarefied cheeses that cost $30, $40 a pound are, are for very select few right. people in the population. And, they, you know, they should have them. They deserve to have them. And if you have the means to eat yeah. that way, you should. But the problem is much broader than, you know, whether your Castellano is made from November milk or April milk, you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, totally. It's, and the thing is, there's, there's a lot of milk, uh, but most of it just goes into the commodities market, you know, um, which is bad for the farmer. Cheese adds value to it. Um, so hopefully our, our goal long-term as cheese people is to, uh, is to sell enough of it. So that um, those farmers, yeah, they give it to um, they give it to the cheesemakers instead of the commodity people, push the prices down. At least I hope they get there. Yeah, no, certainly what you guys do in retailing and educating the customers is offering that additional economic stimulus so that you know farmers can get a premium for their million you know, farmers who properly farm and are respectful of their of their techniques can get a premium price for their milk product and it can go into a more quality cheese. Yeah. Is certainly facilitating a solution to the problem. Cool. And, the, and when you grew up did, did you have any cheese shops, uh, standalone cheese shops around you when you were a kid? No? Nothing? Was it just like did, when, when you where you shopped or where your mom shopped was it just a, a cheese section in there? But all we can't remember it. I think so. Wow. That's nuts. Now there are cheese shops like a dime a dozen in this town. Yeah. They're, they're everywhere. So, that, it's different times. Um, so we're going to take a short break, and then we'll be right back to talk to Joe about more uh, cheesy stuff.
The Academy Opus Cassius is the cheese industry's unique center for professional development, offering both practical and classroom training for cheese professionals ready to move their careers to the next level. The Academy is the only professional cheese school integrating hands-on practice, formal instruction, and curriculum-related visits in every course and attracts students from such diverse countries as Australia, Venezuela, Ukraine, Canada, Sweden, and India. The Academy's core courses for cheesemakers, mongers, and affineurs are offered at the Mons facilities in France, at Jasper Hill Farm in Vermont, and at Point Reyes Farmstead Cheese in California. Academy director Sue Sturman also offers insider's tours in New York, London, and Paris, where cheesemongers can meet their international peers and be inspired by new approaches to cheese retailing. For more information and to apply for courses, visit our website at www.academymons.com. That's A-C-A-D-E-M-I-E hyphen M-O-N-S dot com. Thanks and welcome back to Cutting the Curd. I'm here with restaurateur Joe Bastianich recording live from Italy in New York. We were talking about how cheese influences states and cultural heritage um, and also just rapping about uh, what cheese was and wasn't available in the 70s. Uh, for the second half of the show, I'd like to talk about your restaurants and your experience as a food judge and a, and a critic. Um, Joe, his mother Lydia Bastianich and uh, Mario Batali together own the Batali Bastianich Group, which owns res- renowned restaurants in New York like Felidia and Del Posto, the new one La Serena, which just opened up in the Maritime, and uh, some outside of New York as well. Um, do you find that chefs that you work with think of cheese as a potential star of a dish, or is it just an afterthought for them? I think that chefs need to view cheese as part of the overall component of the dining process. Um, I think that a lot of people, what I excuse me, <coughs> a lot of chefs almost kind of consider a cheese service to be part of the pastry program, so they relegate right. it to the pastry chefs, which is fine. If someone, as long as someone's taking care of it and doing it properly. I think cheese in Italian restaurants is a big part of the cooked food process, mostly in the creamy, which the pastas are risottos, you know, very, very fundamental, whether it's as a filling and pasting or a grating cheese and in the, in the Italian vernacular it's a big part uh, a big component of cuisine you know you, these days you have the, the trendier cheeses you can't go to a restaurant without finding a burrata appetizer or right. various forms of mozzarella homemade local made di bufala from Italy you know, various kind of ricottas sheep milk cow milk ricotta you know so all these things um, can become the star of a plate, and, 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 and I think most even the Italian and American, lo, you know, American restaurants that focus focus on local food. But um, I, I think it's, I think that's still probably not unless you're talking about those kind of appetizers. It's certainly not a protagonist, right? In what would classically be like an entree, you know. How was the cheese knowledge of uh, U.S. contestants versus Italian ones on, like, MasterChef U.S. and MasterChef Italia? Oh, it's Chef a huge, huge difference. I yeah. mean, Italians, you know, know about cheese. They live cheese. You know, it's part of being Italian. So Italians are very familiar with their local cheeses, very familiar with their important national cheeses. Americans, although are learning, you know, in the foodie sense, I think there's much less of an inherent knowledge right. of cheese because we don't have that kind of, you know, very few people come from agricultural areas. Where yeah. Where cheese is actually made in part of everyday life. Um, what is well, and, and this is just based on the same thread. What's your experience, and you know how 
of how the consumers and think about cheese here in the U.S. versus Italians. Same thing. I think that you you know like Americans are great consumers. They're very informed. They're academic, and when they put their mind to something, they really learn about it. So we have the fortune of the great American consumers, which again is a small slice of the general populations who really travel, know the cheeses, experience them in Spain, Italy, and France, Germany, yeah. and then come back here and find you know find the mongers who can give them that the high quality stuff. I think on a on a general broad thing, I think cheese again is is riding on the back of food, uh, making it to the table probably of more broad American consumers as grating cheeses, ricottas, mozzarellas, and hit how the people would use them in their pastas on a daily basis. And that's all good news. I think that the fact that you you, you cook with your cheese or use it in in hot food is not necessarily a negative thing. I think you know. I think it'll be a long time. Before a perfectly, uh, a perfectly tempered, you know, quarter pound of cheese will make it to the American dinner table as an entree, right? For a light dinner, which is you know often how Italians and French people eat. They think yeah. They're far from that. We just don't. We don't do things the same way. Nor nor should we. You know, it's a different culture. We. Uh, I found like in in the time doing this show, um, which was interesting to me, um, is that. As you say, like a lot of these these things, a lot of the Italian things are steeped in tradition. Um, but a lot of the younger generations of, uh, like, say, Italian, French, Swiss cheesemakers, they don't want to make cheese. Like their kids don't want to do it anymore. So yeah, it's, it's like, a shit business. You gotta like stay with the cows all the time. You gotta like make the curd. You gotta wake up early. There's right. no holidays. You know, at the end of the day, it's not a very glad. At least if you make wine, you get to go to nice restaurants, right, shop right. around, and sell it. You know, cheese. It's not so glamorous. No, but, but, but here in America, um, it's a bunch of people who are about the mean age to take over those things who are, who are doing it all the time. Like right. American cheese, like huge rebirth. From the time I started selling cheese, I probably had about 10, you know, 1995, probably had about 10 or 12 decent producers of cheese. Now they come to me, I, I don't have a big enough cheese case. And it's a great thing, and I've tasted, you know, one of my favorites is that Vermont cheese that I like. What's the name of that? The Tarantaise? Tarantaise. Yeah, yeah, amazing. You know, great density, a really great, in the probably French mountain style, cow yeah. cheese, you know, and uh, and I like that. And I think that it's really great, you know, like what the guys started in California and Humble, Humboldt County and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. That's become more like a national thing. Yeah. I mean, certainly America is a land of bounty, and we have an incredible history in agriculture. What we, we don't have is the is the food culture. We don't have, we have less of the um, artisanality. Right. Why do you think that is? Just because we're... It's just because we're a young country, because right. we fought two wars, because right. until 50 years ago, the political mandate in this country was to create volumes of food cheaply. Right. And yeah. it is just a recent rebirth, you know, thanks to some people like Alice Waters and the rest of the world that 20, 30, 40 years ago said, well, stop, you know. There's also a place for quality food. There's a place for agricultural products on our tables, and uh, yeah. and it's a very, very recent thing in this country. But it's going the right way. You're in a position oh, absolutely. to see yeah, it. Yeah, it's definitely going the right way. It'll probably again, it'll take a long time. It's all positive. It'll probably I don't know in my generation if we'll see a family of four in in Des Moines, Iowa. They'll sit down with a hunk of cheese as an entree for their dinner. <laughs> yeah. But um, you know, it's all heading in the right direction. I like that. I like that a lot. Um, I mean, do you do you have any any advice? Because you're a super successful man uh, uh, for any uh, cheese shop owners or, or young retailers or restaurateurs that want to get into the business that might be listening to my humble little show here. Advice, like entre- <laughs> warnings. Warnings are good. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, uh, listen. 
if you're a monger or a reseller, you are a, you're a communicator. So right, you got to go to the places. You got to do your homework. You got to travel. You got to meet the people. Be, you have to kind of be an investigative reporter and come right. back and report to your consumer. So as much as you're a monger that allows you to sell a piece of cheese and make a margin on it, you're also a communicator. And you have to, the value added that you, how you earn your margin is being by able to tell the story of the place, the people, the how, the why right. this cheese is the way it is and tastes the way it does. So you're an educator as much as you are as a retailer. And I think that, you know, if you are really interested in that aspect of it, telling the story and having value added and educating people, then do it. If you just want to see cheese as a commodity where you can get a 30% margin, you're probably better off selling widgets. Right, absolutely. Well, because food is, there's, there's such slim margins. I mean, we started this thing, um, you know, that, um, we're trying to get as cheesemongers an awareness of where you're not just like a grocery store worker, where that's like an actual trade, where you can get paid for the skills that are that are out there on the table. I mean, I, do you think there's room for stuff like that, where, where specialized tradespeople can work a job for 15, 20 years being a cheesemonger? I, I think I've seen more and more of your types around. And My types? I, and I think that it's a, it's a certainly a value added for, for the people who can hire them and for the stores that can afford that kind of infrastructure and yeah. those kind of people in them. I think it is a legitimate craft. I, I would I would broaden it to say that I think that there is a whole world of food, professionalist food handlers, professional food handler retail people that is underserved in this country. What do we do about that? It's very difficult. I think that in the boom of restaurants and chefs, that once, once the, all the chef slots are filled up, which are probably close to that, people are going to have to find other things to do in the, yeah. in the food world. And then they can become cheesemongers and food. You know, once there's no one, no more want ads for sommeliers and chefs, which is what everyone wants to be now, Right. then they'll have to be, uh, you know, cheesemongers and they'll have to be deli counter people and, you know, food handlers and produce per day itself, yeah. and, and I think that it'll happen, you know. Here in New York City, because I've been lucky, you know, to work here for so long, you see people like that that do that, but um, I hope that that bleeds out into into the, the other country, into the countries and the counties, more suburban and rural areas. Or, or maybe it'll probably the, take a long time. I hope it gets there, though. I mean, for, for, for me, I mean, I, I work hard to... I'm lucky I work at Italy, you know, I have, a, I have a huge captive audience of customers that can bring in crazy cheese and people who come from the middle of the country buy it because it's a, an oddity to them. Um, but I'd love for it to be a more... Well, the good thing that, as you say, if it's going to happen on a national level, certainly cheese will lead the way, closely followed by probably, you know, uh, deli counter, cured meats, and, um, and then from then, hopefully it'll grow. I hope so too. So, what's next for you in your, your career? What project are you most excited about right oh, now? Jesus. Well, we're opening up New Eatleys, right? That's the yeah. part of the day. So, we have uh, Freedom Tower coming up, and then Boston, and then LA. So, that's a lot. Was Eataly, is it, were you surprised at how like, hyper successful we've been here? I mean, or, it's been the, the, the overall success of the project's been overwhelming. Um, am I surprised that it's successful? No. But, but, I mean, am I surprised that it had the kind of cultural impact that it has. Yeah. Yes, it's kind of really changed the way uh, New Yorkers behave. I think so. In retail and restaurant environments, and that's a big deal. That's cool, man. Well, thanks so much for your time, Joe. Thank you. My um, pleasure. And everyone should check out uh, Restaurant Startup on CNNBC. Tune on for uh, more Cutting the Curd next week right here on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. Thanks, man. You bet. Nice to see you.
Thanks for listening to this program on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. You can find all of our archived programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Heritage underscore Radio. You can email us questions at any time at info at HeritageRadioNetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening.